Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you have ever bought furniture at Ikea? Let me see your hand. You've bought furniture at Ikea before. Did I just bring some bad memories up right there? And how many of you have opened those multiple flat boxes and assembled that same furniture from Ikea? Maybe a dining room table called a Bajorkin Flover or something, and, or a picture frame called a Farvik Nugent. I don't know what those product names are. Now, so most of us have bought and assembled it. Now let's see, how many of you enjoyed the experience of assembling the IKEA furniture? Look around at the strange folks in the room right here. The people that like all of that. Many, far fewer hands up on that question than the first two. I personally believe that every engaged couple as a part of premarital counseling should have to assemble furniture from IKEA and see how the conflict rises there, see how that goes before getting married. I heard, I heard this year Ikea is thinking about um, selling Christmas trees at the Christmas season, and I think I have a picture of it, it'll look like this, and some assembly required there. (laughs) There it is, that's what it would look like if Ikea sold a Christmas tree. Why is Ikea furniture so frustrating to most of us, not to a few of you? People, I don't know what you're, what's going on with you, why you like it, but for most of us, why is it so frustrating? It's because that dresser has a 50-page instruction manual with 532 pieces of hardware that you have to put in. It is a very complex, uh, and I guess the steps, I guess, are kind of simple, but they're never-ending. It's like, when is this ever going to end? Page after page after page after page of, of putting that dresser together. There are 74 steps to put together a nightstand. On the other hand, how many of you have purchased something from Amazon? Let me see. You've bought something from Amazon. All of your hands should be up, all right? There's no way. How many of you purchased something from Amazon this week? My hand is up. How many multiple times this week? How many this morning? My wife has already purchased something this morning? I was with you the whole time. How did that happen? We bought something from Amazon already today? This is the Lord's Day. We take a Sabbath from Amazon. How is this happening? Why? That was like I was going to ask a question, but yeah, just why? Why is my wife buying so much stuff on Amazon? How many of you know the UPS driver or by, by name? They know you, and they're concerned if they're not delivering boxes. They're like knocking on the door, calling for a wellness check if you did not get a delivery that day. Why do so many of us spend so much money on Amazon? There are several reasons, but I think one of them is, is that they have simplified the process of buying things, haven't they? Kind of the opposite of Ikea, who has complicated the process of furniture assembly. Amazon has simplified the process of buying. All you do is search, 
a million options, read some reviews, click read more reviews, spend way too long reading reviews, then decide what you're going to buy, click add to cart, and one click, it's bought. It doesn't even feel like you spent any money. It was just one push of the button, and it's coming, and it's on its way. And then you can order, like, recurring things, and then they'll come without you even doing anything. They have simplified the purchasing process. This morning, I want to bring you a message I've titled, The Three Steps of Biblical Christianity. The three steps of biblical Christianity. This morning's going to be a theologically foundational message, and it's also going to be a practically applicable message to every person in this room. We have a good number of guests here today. We have some uh, uh, folks that were here for the baptism and others that are here for Grandparents Sunday and others, the Lord just led you and you're a guest. Some of you, maybe you've been in church for years or decades, and others of you, this might be the first time in years you've walked into a church. No matter where you find yourself on your spiritual walk, today's message will be applicable to you if you allow it to be. We're going to have, because we have the kids, and I do this in chapel, I've got a few of my, in chapel I often give out candy if the uh, kids are uh, uh, answering questions. I've got a few boxes of candy. We're going to do a sword drill. Uh, we don't really do it to the adults, but everybody, get your Bibles up. We'll do one for the first kid that's up, and then the first teen, and the first adult. We'll find out who gets there. We're going to go. You can't bring it down until I say go. Put your Bibles up. I'll say the reference. Then you're going to bring it down for the, and we'll do this. I've got some boxes of candy down here, the ones that I see. Somebody next to them will confirm. So I'll say the reference. Then you're going to repeat it. Don't bring it down until I say go. Matthew 28. Go. We're all going to go there, by the way, even if you're slow. Let's see who's standing up first. I'm looking. Oh, we got an adult up. She's buying Amazon and getting candy. We got a teenager, first teenager up, and a first kid I saw back here. Somebody confirm, Annalise, did mom get it right? Is it right? Matthew 28. Come on up. My first adult, my first kid. I don't know. The uh, Wilson kids can rock, paper, scissors. I don't know who was up first. And Krista, come on up. Get a box of candy there. Let's all, we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 28 this morning. Matthew 28. And what we're going to find in Matthew 28, where we're going to be reading is Jesus' last recorded words in Matthew's gospel. These are Jesus' last recorded words, and this is Jesus um, after he's, he's been crucified and he's back, and he's giving what we call the Great Commission. We call this the Great Commission. It is Jesus' commission to his disciples. And in this passage we're going to read this morning, Jesus simplifies Christianity down to really three steps. Man, like Ikea, man sometimes likes to complicate things. And in religion, man complicates things sometimes. We give people long lists of rules that they have to keep. And all of these, you've got to do this and that and do this and that, and all of this stuff. To earn your way to heaven, you've got to do this, you've got to remember that, and you've got to give this, and you've got to give that. And man likes to complicate things. In, in uh, Orthodox Jews, I've been in Israel on Sabbath as they were attacked yesterday. On that day, Orthodox Jews, there are 613 Old Testament laws they're trying to remember and trying to keep in their lives, and it's why they dress the way they do, and they have their sideburns not cut the way they do, and they walk certain steps, and on the Sabbath they don't push an elevator button because that's working. They have all these rules, and on top of the 613 laws, they've added a whole bunch more. We had a Messianic Jew here last, uh, earlier this year at Eastern. He talked about on top of those, it turns into thousands of guidelines. Man and religion often complicates things. Jesus simplifies. 
What did Jesus say when they came and they asked him, what's the great command of the law? Meaning, of the 611, 613, you have to remember, what's the most important one? What did Jesus do? He simplified those 600 plus laws down to two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. If you worry about loving God and loving people, the rest of the stuff will fall into place. He took an Ikea thing and he made it an Amazon thing. He took a really complex thing and he made it simple. And today we're going to look at a theologically foundational passage in our lives and and where Christ leaves his disciples with the three steps of biblical Christianity, what we call the Great Commission. Would you read Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18 through 20 aloud? If you'd like, if you're following along on a phone or a tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version if you'd like to read aloud with me. Let's read Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 aloud. Ready? Begin. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This message came, the thought for this message came to me last Sunday after our amazing day with evangelist Tim Lee. Many of you were here. This auditorium was packed. We had two or three hundred more chairs set up in here than there are now. And he preached uh, an amazing, a man that lost both legs in Vietnam, preached an amazing gospel message last Sunday morning. And I was so encouraged as I saw a couple hundred people come forward at the invitation, and at least 47 that raising their hand and, and, and then filling out a decision card made a profession of faith in Christ as Savior last Sunday. And I was rejoicing about it all day long. And by the way, thank you so much for inviting friends and neighbors, family members, and coworkers. I was rejoicing over the couple hundred guests that we had here last Sunday and, and the many that made a profession of faith saying, I'm putting my faith and trust in Christ alone as Savior. And I was rejoicing about it all day, and I was thinking about it, and that night after church he preached another good message, and I was thinking about it, and, 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 and I, I began to think about what God is doing in our church. And we've just come out of a month-long uh, 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 opening month of school, and we've had, especially in the secondary, our secondary students have probably heard about 20 Bible messages in the last month. We've had a couple different youth revivals and things. We've seen teenagers making great decisions for Christ. Danny uh, got baptized. We've had others, um, many of them by the scores that are, are growing in their spiritual walk. And I, I got thinking about, as some that trusted Christ last week, have I done a good job? explaining kind of a theological understanding of what the Christian life looks like. I know we hit on some of these topics at different times, but as we have many new believers and many that have been saved for a long time, looking at what is the path of Christianity and understanding those things very, very clearly. What is biblical Christianity? We see the first step in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Jesus says, go ye, talking to the disciples, therefore, here's the first step, and teach all nations. Matthew says, go and teach all nations. To this point, the good news of Jesus had been uh, pretty much isolated to the Jews. Jesus, a Jewish uh, a man that was born to a Jewish family, had spent his entire ministry in, in, um, in Israel, and, and he had, the, the gospel had come to the Jews at this point. And Jesus, as he's leaving, is saying, my gospel is not just for one people group. 
I died for the whole world, and I want you to take the good news that a Savior has come to the entire world. I want you to go and teach all nations. Teach them what? Teach them that I'm the Messiah. Mark said it this way in his gospel. Mark said, uh, in, in his gospel, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The same commission, Mark records it in that way. He said, I want you to go preach the gospel. What is the gospel? When we say the gospel, that word just means good news. The Bible defines the gospel as this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's the good news that God loved you and God loved me so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to walk this earth for 33 years. He was buried, and then three days later, we celebrate on Easter, He conquered death, He rose from the grave so that you could have your sins forgiven and spend eternity in heaven with Him. That in a nutshell is the gospel. And so what is Jesus saying? What is the entrance into Christianity? Number one, the first step of biblical Christianity is salvation. The entrance into Christianity is salvation. In order to be a Christian, that's a Bible word, you must be saved. Another Bible term for salvation, Jesus used this term speaking to a very religious man in John 3, you must be born again. Often the Bible will use physical analogies to help us understand spiritual truths. You must be born again. Nicodemus, I know you go to synagogue a lot. Nicodemus, I know you've memorized much of the Pentateuch. Nicodemus, I know you read the Bible every day. Nicodemus, I know you're really religious, but Nicodemus, you're not saved. You don't have a relationship. What happens when you're physically born? You begin a relationship. A new relationship comes into your family. That newborn is a new relationship in the family, and Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've been physically born, but you need to be spiritually born. You need a relationship with me, not just a religion about me. And biblical Christianity, many of you raised your hands last week and said, I'm placing my faith and trust in Christ. That is salvation. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again for me. That time and place, and by the way, being born physically, there's a specific time and place. How many of you kids, you know when your birthday is? Let me see. You know your birthday. All right, on the count of three, you're going to tell me your birthday out loud. All right, ready? One, two, three. March 15th, is that what I heard over there? Sixth, that was a loud one over there. All right. Anybody birthday today? Anybody birthday today? No? All right. We all know our birthdays, why? It was a specific time and place we were born. Salvation is also, it's being born again. Salvation, uh, for me, that time and place was Santa Clara, California, May 22nd, 1988, as a young child. I was saved the first time I walked into a Bible preaching church and heard the good news of Jesus Christ. My sins were forgiven and the gift of eternal life became mine. Here's my question in the three steps of biblical salvation. Have you taken that step? Have you been born again? I didn't ask if you go to church here every week. I didn't ask if you've given to the offering. I didn't ask if your dad was a pastor. I didn't ask if your grandparents were godly Christians. Have you been born again? You see, man comes up with all kinds of ideas and ways to get to heaven, but Jesus said in John chapter number 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Have you ever taken that first step of Christianity? 47 did last Sunday. I want you to hear this statement. 
And some of you are going to balk at this statement, but this statement is biblical. We are all God's creation. We are not all God's children. God loves us all, for God so loved the world. We are all God's creation, and He loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for you, but we are not adopted into the family until there's been a time and place where we placed our faith and trust in Christ alone. We become God's children at salvation. The theological term for salvation is justification. That word simply means we are declared righteous. Someone said to be justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. When you're justified, you're saved, you're declared righteous. So if you go to a church that tells you, you've got to do good works to, to get to heaven, that church is not teaching you what the Bible teaches you. We don't do good works for God's love, we do good works from God's love. We do good works because we're loved, not to earn His love. We're, when we get saved, all sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. We are declared righteous. When God looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says Christ's righteousness is imputed on our account. Romans 3, verse number 24, being justified freely, not any works we've done freely, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you want to be encouraged, go read that whole chapter this week, Romans 3, and understand the free and wonderful gift that justification or salvation in Christ is. I also want to say this, salvation is not a process. Sometimes people get confused. Well, I'm, I'm working my way in, I'm getting rid of this sin, and I'm, I'm working on that, and I'm getting better there, and I'm getting cleaned up, and I'm trying to get to where God will accept me. Salvation is not a process. It's not a day after day after day. Moms, aren't you glad you didn't give birth to that child day after day after day after day? Being born again is a one-time thing where we place our— Now, I remember Danny mentioned she got assurance of her salvation. I remember the exact same thing in my life. There were some doubts. Often the doubts come, one, we may not understand Scripture completely, or often the doubts come because I know I'm not living in every way that I should, and so I think, well, if I'm really saved, then I wouldn't do those bad things anymore. We're going to get to that in a minute, but my works don't earn my salvation. You cannot earn your way to heaven, and neither can I. It's a free gift of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. Salvation is a one-time thing. It's not something I've, I've talked to people and I've said, have you ever placed your faith and trust in Christ alone as Savior? And they'll say something like this, oh, I do that every night. That would be like me asking someone, when's your birthday? Oh, I celebrate my birthday every night. That doesn't make sense. No, like, what day were you born? Oh, every day. No, salvation is a one-time event in our lives. Once saved, always saved. Would you say that with me? Once saved, always saved. So the kids knew their birthdays. Here's my question. Do you remember a time and place, your spiritual birthday? I know that sometimes we don't know the exact date. But do you remember a time and a place in your life that you made a decision to place your faith and trust in Christ alone as Savior? If not, that's the first step you need to take. John chapter number 10 says this regarding once saved, always saved, and I give unto them eternal life. By the way, it's a gift. We can't earn it. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Once you're saved, just like there was nothing you could do to earn it, it's all Christ's work. There's nothing you can do to lose it. It's all Christ's work. 
Salvation is the first step. What's the next step? Let's look back at our text. Uh, talk, review, what's the first step of biblical Christianity? Number one, what? Salvation. Number one, what? Salvation. Salvation. Let's look at the second step. Verse number 18. Oh, no, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go preach the gospel. See people saved. What's the next verb there? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. What's the next word? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The second step of biblical Christianity is baptism. Baptism is the first step of obedience. It is a public display of a personal decision. Would you say that with me? It is a public display of a personal decision. Baptism is not salvific, it is, it is symbolic. It has no saving power in our lives. There are some religions that would teach what we call baptismal regeneration. You are not saved. Well, the problem is the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, Jesus on the cross said to the thief who never got baptized, today you'll be with me in paradise. Baptism is an outward symbol. The, the most common illustration, the older I get, I need to get my ring bigger. It's getting harder to get off. Um, the most common illustration we use is the wedding ring. Tiffany and I have been married for 23 years. I just took my wedding ring off. Am I still married? Yes or no? Am I any less married to Tiffany than I was five minutes ago? It's a public display, me saying, I'm not ashamed to tell people I'm in a relationship with her. And that's exactly what Danny said at the end of her video. I want people to know I'm not ashamed to let people know I have a relationship with him. Baptism does not wash away the filth of the flesh. It is, it is a symbol. It has nothing to do with salvation. First Peter chapter number 3, speaking of Noah and the ark and the picture of salvation that was, he said, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Look what he says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did he say? It is a figure or a picture of our salvation. It is an answer of a good conscience. So what is required for biblical baptism? I just covered this in our starting point class this morning for newer folks in our church. Number one, a proper candidate. A proper candidate. What is biblical baptism? It needs the right person getting baptized. That is somebody that's already been saved. In the Bible, you don't see anyone, there's no sinful human in all of Scripture in the New Testament that was ever, or Old Testament for that matter, that was ever baptized before salvation. Baptism was always, the Bible says in Acts chapter number 2, verse number 41, then they that gladly received his word, those that were saved, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's why our church, we don't baptize infants. I know that many of you were baptized as infants. My brother uh, was baptized as an infant. I went to his baptismal ceremony at an Episcopal church. I understand that. I'm not criticizing your family. What I'm letting you know is that is an extra biblical practice that man came up with. You will find infants baptism nowhere in Scripture. And so baptism is always the proper candidate after salvation. It's the proper mode, secondly, which is immersion. The Greek word for what we translate in English baptize is the word baptizo. It means to plunge, to dunk, to immerse. It literally means to go underwater. And so that's why for us, we do not sprinkle for baptism. Again, some churches, some religions would take water and sprinkle for baptism. We don't because the biblical model and the biblical word itself says to plunge, to dunk, to immerse. The biblical model, everyone that was baptized in Scripture was baptized by immersion. 
First Peter, uh, I'm sorry, in Romans, the Bible says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, here's the picture, baptism. We are buried with him by baptism in, in death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So baptism is just a symbol. It's an outward identification. It's obedience to God. And what is the symbol? So you have the water line. Danny this morning came in and sat there, and her body was here. The water line was here. It was symbolizing, she was saying by symbol, what we just read in Romans, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And then he says, I baptize you in the name of the Father. We see that from Romans, Son, the Holy Ghost. It symbolizes, I believe Jesus was buried when he died. And then, and then it says, and raised, uh, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. She's saying, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's baptism. It's simply an outward identification, but may I just stop and say this? If you've been saved, have you been baptized? And if not, may I ask you, if you're not saved, I would say, why not? What are you waiting for? And if you're not baptized biblically after salvation by immersion, I would say, why not? Why would you not identify with Christ? It's the first step of obedience. And I can't tell you all the reasons why this is. But I have rarely, if ever, seen somebody refuse, that refuses to be baptized that goes on to continued spiritual, great spiritual maturity over the long term. I didn't come up with this idea. Jesus did. The Bible did. But baptism is that first step of obedience. Number three, the proper administrator. The Bible shows us that it was the local church that was to baptize. It's a local church ordinance. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I thank God I baptize none of you, lest any of you should say I baptize in mine own name. When we baptize, they're identifying with Christ, and they're identifying with a local church body. Now look at the last step of biblical Christianity. Verse number 20. So talk to me. What's the first step? What's the first step? Salvation. Salvation. Have you been born again? If you have, what's the second step? These are Jesus. He gave us the abridged version. Here's what I want you to do for the rest of your lives. Go tell everybody you can about Jesus. And when they place their faith in me, baptize them. Help them to publicly identify. Tell people I'm not ashamed of him. And then after that, here's the rest of the Christian life. Notice verse number 20, teaching them, what does it say? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Would you read that verse aloud with me, verse 20? Ready? Begin. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What's the third step? It's a, sometimes theologians, we like to come up with big terms. We like to come up with words that we don't really use in other places. Justification, transubstantiation, glorification. This one is sanctification. The third step to biblical Christianity is sanctification. Now that sounds maybe to some like, what does that word even mean? It's a very simple word. The word sanctify simply means to set apart, to cleanse it has the idea of cleansing, it has the idea of holiness, to set apart, to prepare for use. So you might, if you were getting ready, if you have some fine china, remember the old days we used to have fine china? And what would you do? You might 
pull that down out of the boxes and clean it, and you would, and you, you have that, that set apart for special uses, and you would pull it down and clean it and get it cleansed and ready for a special use. You are setting it apart. It's only used for certain things. This idea of being set apart, it's to be holy. Paul said it this way, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Look what it says here, that you should abstain from what? From what? Fornication. Sinful activity, sinful sexual activity outside of marriage, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. What is he saying? If you're a believer that follows Christ, there should be something different about the way that you live. There should be something different about your spirit, about your words, about the way that you treat your spouse, about the way that you treat your children, about the way that kids behave at school, your kindness to one another, your love for each other. There should be something different about the things that you watch and the things that you listen to and the websites that you go to, your faithfulness to your spouse. There should be something different, not like the Gentiles that don't know God. Believers should be growing in sanctification. What does he say? That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto what church? But unto what? That sanctification. And salvation is a one-time uh, event. Sanctification is a lifelong process. Growing, walking in his steps, growing in spiritual maturity. Why do we gather every week for church? If you've been saved already and you've been baptized, why does God's word tell us to gather weekly? One of the reasons is to grow in grace, to grow in our sanctification, to learn more about the Bible, to apply it to our lives. Why should you read the Bible every day? Why should you be listening to good biblical content and putting that in your heart? Why? To grow, to be more holy, to get the unclean things out of our lives, to get the clean things into our lives. Jesus prayed that his followers would be sanctified through the word of truth. It is God's plan after salvation and baptism that we grow in holiness, in righteousness, in Christ-likeness. Can I say that again? God didn't save you to leave you where you were before salvation. God wants you to become more clean, more holy. We don't do that for salvation. We do that from salvation. The story is told of a young girl who accepted Christ as her Savior. She applied for membership at a local church. An old deacon came up and asked her, he said, were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? She, she answered, yes, sir. He replied, well, are you still a sinner? Her reply was, to tell you the truth, I kind of feel like I'm a greater sinner than I've ever been. The deacon said, then what real change have you experienced? She said this, she said, I don't know quite how to explain it, sir, except I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. It's an about face. What was she saying? As a Christian, I'm trying to run from that which I used to run to. And I still mess up. Paul said it. Oh, wretched man that I am. The stuff I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. This is a lifelong journey, walking more like Christ, becoming more like him, becoming his disciples. 
It's a process in our lives, but the Bible says when we're saved, we're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. And in the Bible, we find three different types of sanctification. Quickly, there's positional sanctification. This happens at salvation. What this means is no matter what you do, you cannot lose your position in God's family once you are adopted in. This is your identity in Christ. When I am saved, remember what sanctification, the idea of righteousness or holiness, in God's sight, when He sees me, He sees the righteousness of Christ in my position. There's positional sanctification. I can't lose it. I have the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Christ imputed in my life. That's my position. That happens at salvation, that positional sanctification. It says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's our positional sanctification. Once you're saved, your position in Christ is sure, just like once you're children are born, my kids, even when they don't do what I want them to do, they're still my children. They still have my last name. And by the way, even if I tried to, to um, uh, what's that word where you kick your kids out? I forget what that word is, whatever that word is, where I legally made them not my kids. Um, what is it? Emancipation. Some of you know that way too quickly. Emancipation, like, I got to get rid of these kids right now. Emancipation. Even if I did that, guess what? That child has my DNA till the day he or she dies. There's nothing that child can do to lose my DNA. And your positional sanctification, there's nothing you can do to lose the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed in your life. But then secondly, and here's that third step of of, of biblical Christianity, secondly is progressive sanctification. What this means is it's a lifetime of growing in Christ. What did it say in verse number 20? So I want them to get saved. I want them to get baptized. Do you see it there? I want you to teach them to, here it is, here's the word, teaching them to observe. Observe all things. What does that mean? I want them changing the stuff they do. I don't just want them learning all things. I want them observing all things. I want them acting upon what they've learned, growing in Christ. Jesus said it this way. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me to let it change you. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him more so that I can serve him more, so that I can grow in him more. Paul said this, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was a man that used to murder Christians, and what is he saying? I want to grow in my knowledge of Jesus. I want to know more about him. I want to live more like him. I want to talk more like him. I want to love more like him. I want to be more like him. What is that? That is progressive sanctification. That's what that is. The apostle Peter wrote the challenge, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a lifelong journey. God likens the Christian life to our physical life. And just like if you had a one-year-old that stopped growing, and and stop developing, you'd be really concerned. You'd take them to the hospital and say, what's going on? They're not progressing as they should. God likens our spiritual life to physically. He says, you need to keep growing to spiritual maturity. I don't want you to stay babies forever in Christ. Christians in the New Testament were rebuked because when they should have been able to handle the meat of the word, they could still only take milk. When they should have been teaching others, they still needed someone to teach them. Paul often called carnal Christians little babies. He said, why do I have to travail again in birth 
with you. Grow up, he said. Study God's Word. Let God's Word change you. Stop living like you did before you got saved. Can I challenge you? If you've been saved and you've been baptized, are you growing? Or are you the same Christian you were a month ago? Or three months ago? Or a year ago? Or a decade ago? God wants us becoming more and more like him. The things we used to do, we don't do them anymore. Why? Because we've been sanctified, we've been cleansed, we've been changed into his image. Are you moving forward in spiritual maturity in your life? I want you to answer that question. I didn't ask you if you're more spiritually mature than some other believer that you know. The question isn't if you're more spiritually mature than another believer. The question is, are you more spiritually mature today than you were three weeks ago? And are you more spiritually mature today than you were three months ago? And are you more spiritually mature today than you were three years ago? Are you growing in Christ? I read this week that the Australian coat of arms, we have a picture of it, it it has two animals on it, the emu and the kangaroo. Kind of interesting animals to choose for your national coat of arms. You know why the animals were chosen for that? Because they share a characteristic that appealed to the Australian citizens. You see, both the emu and the kangaroo can only move forward. The emu's three-toed foot causes it to fall if it tries to go backwards, and the kangaroo is prevented from moving in reverse by its large tail. And may I say, we ought to be a little more like the emu and the kangaroo as believers. Those who truly choose to follow Christ should strive to be more like them, always seeking to move forward, never backwards. Now, we all slip, and we all fail, we all mess up, but the goal is, am I moving forward for Christ, or am I I at the same spiritual maturity as I, I was a week, a year, a decade ago? Are we growing in Christ? So what area do you need to become more obedient to Scripture and more like Christ? In your words? Is it your actions, your commitment to gathering with your church family? Your study of God's word, your generosity and giving to the work of God. You know, the Bible says that you might grow in this grace also, speaking of generosity, giving. It says to grow in grace, grow in your kindness, grow in your forgiveness, grow in your faithfulness. The Bible says to grow in these things. And then the third, the last part of sanctification would be called ultimate sanctification, or often theologically would be called glorification. This happens at death. So, positional sanctification happens at salvation. Progressive is a lifelong journey. Ultimate sanctification or glorification happens when we die. What happens when we die? The word sanctify means to set apart. We are set apart from sin for all eternity. The Bible says we are glorified. We'll be with Him. We receive a glorified body. And we are now, we don't have to deal with sin for all of eternity. That's the ultimate sanctification. We're set apart from sin. And because that day is coming, notice what it says in in, uh, Colossians 3. It says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, notice what it says, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You're going to be glorified with Christ in heaven for all eternity. Because of that, look what it says, mortify or deaden your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. Get rid of these things in your life today because you're going to be with him for all eternity. Be progressively sanctified because your glorification is coming. I like what one commentator said. He said, these three phases of sanctification separate the believer from the penalty of sin, 
that's salvation. The power of sin, that's progressive sanctification. And the presence of sin, that's glorification. I have been justified. I am being sanctified. I will be glorified. So kids, talk to me. Adults, teens, let's see if we're listening. I said there's three steps of biblical Christianity. What's the first step? What is it? Salvation. Salvation. Has there been a time and a place in your life that you've been saved? If not, why not today? Take that step. Let today be the day of your salvation. If you've been saved, what's the second step? What is it? Baptism. It's not going to save you, but it's going to identify you with Christ. If you've been saved and not baptized, what are you waiting for? Talk to one of our pastors. By the way, I'm not on some baptism commission sales. I don't make more money. The deacons haven't set me in my contract negotiations. The more baptisms, the more money you get. This is not, you're not doing this for me, but the Bible says, they that gladly received his word were baptized. Why not take that step of obedience and identification? If you're saved last week, talk to one of us and let's, let's talk about that next step. And then if you've been saved and baptized, what's the third step of, of biblical Christianity? What is it? Sanctification. Becoming set apart more and more like Christ. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. If you've been saved for a while and you're not observing the things that he's commanded us, what are you waiting for? Let's grow in him. So here, that's the summary and conclusion. Here's the application. We've covered the theological framework of what it means to be a Christian. I've given you three steps outlined in the Great Commission. Here's the application, a five-word question. Here's the takeaway from today's message. Here it is. So wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, what is your next step? What is your next step? And why won't you move forward like the emu? Move forward like the kangaroo and say, God, here's my next step. I need to get saved. Here's my next step. I need to get baptized. Here's my next step. I need to grow in you in my life. If you've been saved but you're not scripturally baptized, don't delay that in your life. If you are, uh, if you've been saved and baptized, are you growing? Tonight we're going to gather again at 5 o'clock for a very special communion service. Why not join us and be there to grow in your understanding and appreciation of what God has done for you on the cross? Are you progressing in your understanding of scripture and your application of it in your life? Are you using a portion of your income for eternal purposes? Are you boldly sharing your faith with those around you? Are we becoming more like Christ and less like the world? Has he changed our thinking, our thoughts, our activities, our relationships, our priorities, the way we walk, we talk, we speak, how to treat our spouse and our kids, our faithfulness to his house, our relationship with his word? My goal, like Paul, he wanted to see mature believers. My goal is to see liberty filled with faithful, godly, sanctified, baptized, saved Christians. But here's the reality. You know what else is my goal? That there would be people at every step of that spectrum in our church at all times. There would be unbelievers coming to hear the good news of of the gospel. There would be brand new baby Christians. There would be people that maybe fell away and are coming back to Christ. There would be people that are getting baptized. There would be people that are growing. There would be, be, be really wise, established, faithful teachers that are teaching. That is what a healthy family should look like. People taking constantly that next step. Salvation, baptism, sanctification. If you're a believer, have you gotten complacent in your growth for Christ? Have you made church a one-hour consumer activity on, on a Sunday and forgotten about the things of God the rest of the week? What's 
your next step. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.